Hello and welcome back to Recover to Flourish, the podcast that aims to debunk all things eating disorder recovery and bring a bit of light into your eating disorder recovery journey. I'm your host, Keandra. I'm an eating disorder recovery coach and I have lived experience of recovering from an eating disorder. And in today's episode, I am joined by the wonderful Han and we're going to be talking about her own journey on atypical anorexia, what it is, and really debunking some of the myths around it. I think it's going to be a really important and insightful episode and hopefully bring a bit of validity to your own journey and help you in any way that um, she can and I can. So Han, please introduce yourself. Hello, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to join you on the podcast. It was so nice speaking with you last week. Was it last week? Yeah, it was last week. Time has flown. (laughs) Yeah, literally. So yeah, I'm Han. Um, I have the podcast Full of Beans podcast, um, which is an eating disorder awareness podcast um, with very similar aims to Kiandra, um, speaking to a range of different individuals to really um, reduce the stigma associated with eating disorders and reduce the loneliness as well, because it can be a very difficult time for people when they're going through this um, and for those supporting them as well. So yeah. It's very nice to be here, to be on the other side. I feel yeah. like a lot less pressure, but also I'm like, oh, now I have to do all the talking. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I put you in the uh, firing line, but yeah. <laughs> it was uh, a really, really great episode. So I'm going to leave all the links in the show notes for you to listen over there. Um, because Han, you have some wonderful guests. You share some, just the most amazing information. Um, and yeah, more the merrier listeners all all your way so i hope that you managed to listen to hans pod if you haven't already but in today's episode as i mentioned we're going to be talking about all things atypical anorexia and your experience so han um you know obviously please go into it as little as much detail as possible can you start by sharing your personal experience with anorexia atypical anorexia and how i suppose it challenged you with the typical you know, um, narratives around eating disorders. Yeah, absolutely. I think the word atypical anorexia, the words are probably the most like detrimental thing about this whole journey, if I'm being honest, because for somebody, you know, if you think about anorexia and the characteristics that somebody has, there's for me personally, what I've really resonated with is that strive for perfection, always wanting to be top of the class, you know, the best of the best. At school, I was the A-star student. I was the perfect child. I was the golden child to my grandparents. I I did everything. I was such a high achiever. Um, I Everyone had such high expectations of me. And I think I've probably had issues with my food and body my whole life based on sort of the upbringing that I had, the relationship my parents had, my siblings had, my grandparents had with their body. It was sort of all around me. And that just kind of, it it meant that I questioned my body as well. And it was when I was about 14, um, I'd had a summer of hanging out with friends and just had a lot of autonomy around the food that I was eating. Um, And it would mean, you know, chips in the park or pasta salad from the co-op, that sort of thing. midnight snacks from at sleepovers and stuff and it got to the end of the summer and my mum was a bit concerned because I'd gained weight and she said you know we don't need to do anything drastic but I think we just need to cut back a bit on food because I am a bit concerned about the weight and you know as a mum I think (laughs) that the messages that you hear in society she was just genuinely worried about my health um and it wasn't like I was you know 
super overweight or anything. I think she was just concerned. And that kind of instilled in me, you know, there was just some, I could hear the cogs already turning then. And then I remember I went to the shop and um, basically my mum used to have her, well, she still has her own business, but at the time um, she'd worked really long hours, but it was right near my school. So often I'd go back there um, and sometimes we'd have like a co-op meal deal or whatever for dinner. And we went to get our dinner and, and she was like, oh, rather than having that pasta, have this one because it's got less calories. So I think in her mind, she was trying to educate me on on what would be a better thing to eat. But to me, that was, okay, better calories. That means weight loss. That means that you're doing better. And so from then, it just kind of all spiraled um, into the the anorexia. And it just became more and more restrictive. But my sister had experienced similar things. So my dad was just... Oh, it's a phase. She's a teenager. You know, you get a bit more kind of conscious about how you look. Um, and I guess after about a year or so, when I'd really lost quite a lot of weight, we then went to the doctor and the doctor was quite supportive, actually. They really listened and, and they understood. But I got referred to CAMS, the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service, and got diagnosed with the atypical anorexia. And it just it didn't fit like you know it wasn't just oh I think I've got like you know full-blown anorexia or whatever they're going to call it it just the term anorexia didn't fit with me mm-hmm. and I'm not going to go into the next kind of 12 years of how life has been but the eating disorder's never left me and atypical anorexia is still never fit and I've really gone through a whole host of you know, I was powerlifting at one point and cutting weight and the eating disorder was still there. Now I'm in more of a place of really focusing on being lean, but being muscular, doing exercise, but trying to restrict. So that balance of, I want to have muscle, but equally I want to be thin and you can't have both. You can't build muscle on a, when you're restricting your calories, that's not how it works. And it's something that I've been really reflecting on recently because when I've been to eating sort of services, it's never been how's your relationship with exercise? How's your relationship with food? They've never asked me those questions, which just absolutely blows my mind. It's always just been your BMI is above 18.5. Therefore it's atypical anorexia. And, you know, this time specifically, um, I went back about a, about six months ago and I said to them, I know what's going to happen. Now, I've done the university degree. I've, I've got a master's in eating disorders. I've worked in a clinic. I've worked in a research session. I know what you're going to diagnose me with. Please, can we just not do that? Like, can we just say eating disorder? Because I feel comfortable with saying I have an eating disorder. I can agree with that. And that allows me to hopefully now go through recovery. But when you tell me I've got anorexia, it doesn't align with me. And therefore, any treatment that you give me, I'm just like, I, I don't think it's going to work because you're you're targeting the wrong thing. Thank you for being so vulnerable and honest. And I think we shared on this in in our last episode about how our, our stories somewhat uh, align. Um, you know the the only child syndrome, and you know we go into more detail in in the episode over on your pod. But I mean, this is a personal question, and you know, feel free to share or, or not. But you mentioned that atypical anorexia anorexia didn't align with you did you want to label yourself or did you not feel like Mm. you fit any any characteristics of a specific eating disorder that's a really interesting question and I think 
initially like when I go for when I went for the diagnosis each time because I've not been diagnosed four times so I'm kind of like guys I know what's going to happen here I'm not going to listen to you so there's no point in doing it but obviously they have to it's just part of part of the system when I go when I would go for the diagnosis yes I wanted to be diagnosed with anorexia nervosa I wanted to finally achieve that gold stamp of you know we can see how much pain you're in right now and therefore you know I I hope that you don't mind me saying this, but in my eyes, there is a hierarchy of eating disorders and anorexia mm. sits at the top. And that's because we live in a diet culture, obsessed society, lower your weight, better you are, basically. That's not what I agree with, but that's the message that comes across. And so I think when I initially went, yes, I wanted to be diagnosed with the atypical, uh, sorry, I wanted to be diagnosed with the anorexia nervosa. When I didn't then get that diagnosis, it was then the mentality shifted it's like okay so if I can't get that then what I now need to do is prove to you that there's definitely something wrong by taking as much fat away from my body as possible but still remaining muscular and then that doesn't necessarily get the approval or the recognition from the doctors as to that I'm suffering but I get the recognition and the approval from society that I'm thriving so it's almost okay you're not going to listen to me so I'm just going to have to pretend that I'm doing really well in life right now and I'll get this kind of approval from everybody else instead but atypical anorexia you know there's no mention of it in there in terms of this this drive for leanness and for muscularity and i think another thing that i've been sort of contemplating on is that there's a a lot more conversation around muscle dysmorphia and muscle orientated mm. disordered eating and the thing that i get it you know it it's very common in men brilliant but there's never a mention of it in women so I've gone from okay you don't have anorexia nervosa because your weight's not low enough but you can't possibly have muscle dysmorphia because you're a woman and I'm just sat in the middle thinking where on earth do I fit and I think that's the thing as well that we often forget about is you know for me personally when my eating disorder started all I wanted to do was fit in somewhere I just wanted I wanted to be one of the popular girls I wanted to be one of the pretty girls I wanted to have friends that admired the way that I look and not getting, being able to have that diagnosis meant once again I didn't fit into a category and that's just been I've kind of been thrown around through the system for years because it just doesn't really fit anywhere it's a really really powerful message you just said and it like I get quite emotional you saying that because I understand I do understand I understand that not fitting and I think a lot of the time and probably some of the listeners can reflect on the fact that eating disorders are really about trying to fit in in a society whereby no one actually fits in that's the ironic thing you're never good enough you're never you know achieving enough you're never pretty enough because there's always somebody doing it better but then they think somebody else is doing it better and it's a you know it's a it's you're always trying to catch your tail so you know again going off a bit off topic but what do you think rose awareness this time of trying to seek recovery in a I suppose unaligned diagnosis do you mean like why did I go for help I suppose yeah what's triggered the initial like your recovery now what was that awareness of knowing you know what something's not right I'm not thriving as I'm putting across I think I so just to go back so when I was 14 I have a set day in my mind and a set 
uh, snack time, or not snack time, but basically we were having cake with my godparents and my mum asked me if I wanted some and I said no. And that was the first time for me that I had a thought of I'm going to restrict my food intake so that I can lose weight and so that I'll be a better person. That to me is like the pivotal memory in my mind of when I made that conscious decision. And I'm not saying eating disorders are a choice, but to me, there was a decision there for me to reduce my eating. I didn't decide to have an eating disorder, no, but that was there. This time, there was no sort of, okay, at this meal, I'm now going to reduce my food intake. It crept up on me very slowly because of situations that were going on in life that I felt very out of control with, but I could feel it coming. Like it was almost, you know, when it's been really hot outside and it's literally happening right now. It's been really hot and the gray clouds are coming over and it's really, really close. And you can feel that something bad is, you feel like there's going to be a thunderstorm. Don't quite know when it's coming, but it's coming. And it was like that. And I thought at the time that I, you know, had everything set up. I thought I had great coping mechanisms. Um, I thought, uh, you know, I've got a really good structure in place for when this happens and then a few months passed and like I was I was exercising more and I was probably eating less but I was still really engaging in life and I remember I went to my grandparents uh 80th birthday party and my granddad always comments on my weight because he thinks that saying like you know you've lost weight or whatever is a compliment and he said oh you've lost weight I was like yeah yeah I have um he said oh have you been trying and I was like no not really just you know cutting back on a few little things and at that point I realized hmm I don't really know what's happened here but I've I've lost it a little bit and then skip ahead a few months again and it was Christmas and we uh, every year we go to my partner's family home and normally when we go we'll go to the gym a couple of times but that's about it and the fear of the food that I was going to be cooked for the fear of not being able to exercise was incredibly intense and that was when I realized shit it's really sorry can I swear yes (laughs) (laughs) um I was like oh god like this has really sunk its teeth in and you know me and my partner are very sociable people we love having people around love going to social events and I was worrying about all these social events and the food that I was going to be given and it had just happened and at that point my partner hadn't really said anything and then it was one day his sister caught me exercising really early in the morning so that nobody knew And she was like, you need to do something about this. Um, Ben, you know, he can't lose you. And I was like, yep, I know. And I need to, I need to sort this. So that at that point, I then decided, yeah, I need to, I need to see somebody. I really didn't want to get better. And, but I knew I needed to. So I'm in a very fortunate position, obviously with Full of Beans. I know a lot of therapists and I'd spoken to a therapist that I was like, that's the therapy that I need. Like if I can afford it, that's going to help me. And so I was really lucky um, in that I've been able to afford the private therapy. And I've been doing that for six months now. And I would say only this week have I actually started to make actions towards actual recovery and I think that's something that I never realized before because if you're in an NHS setting you're lucky enough to get 
you know, six weeks of CBT, like to get six months worth of therapy, it's not really going to happen. And so I was like, you know, if I'm not, if I'm not doing stuff instantly, if we're not instantly increasing my meal plan, if we're not instantly reducing my exercise, then something's, some, it's never going to change. But I've been in a really, really fortunate position and I know not everybody is in this position and I genuinely feel like the most lucky person alive that I can be in this position that it's taken me six months to even start to unpack things, to start to trust the ther- my therapist. And she's absolutely wonderful. But she said last week, I was like, you know, I've not even increased what I'm eating. She's like, but you've not been ready to. And now I'm actually ready to, and I'm actively doing that myself because I'm now in a position where I can. And I'm in a position where once I start doing it, it's not going to be too overwhelming. And I'm not just going to crumble again because every time I've tried recovery before, I've been put on a meal plan that has just, it's been so difficult and I've just crumbled. And I kind of want to you know mention there that sometimes you do, I have been in a quote-unquote medically stable position my weight is much lower than my body would like it to be but it, it's it's okay for some people that's not the case for some people you do actually have to go balls to the wall you've just got to absolutely jump in at the deep end I've been in a position where I could wait until I was ready and now I'm jumping in at the deep end and we've tried softly softly you know we've tried the increasing by x amount of calories each week and it just it's not worked for me and that's my personality trait in that softly softly is not something I can do I'm all or nothing which I know I also need to work on but that's now what I need to do is is I need to commit completely to recovery but I've not been ready to do that before and I think actually being able to be compassionate with myself and say yeah I've not been ready but I am now has also been a massive step as well to know it's not been six months or 14 years wasted if you want to put it that way because it's happening now I I wish I could get like some sort of like applause you know one of those things (laughs) honestly like the bravery and what you just said is just like again emotional emotional me right here I just you know it takes a lot to say that you know that actually you know I think oftentimes social media makes us seem that it's not you know we have to be this you know achieving these things and in a certain time frame and it's like well if I've not done this then you know we we often compare ourselves our journey to others um I was only like kind of talking and reflecting about you know my comparison with others and I think you're just like no I know I'm ready now to do this and very you know I suppose you have a lot of self-awareness to know I can't do this softly softly that's just going to be my eating disorder making an excuse and I'm so glad that you've taken that decision not anyone else making you do it I think that's when real change happens so Again, I know this is hard to, to I suppose, to, to answer because, you know, like we said, the, the atypical anorexia diagnosis doesn't really fit. But I suppose what about the, what are some common misconceptions about the diagnosis that you do hold? Because I think when it comes to atypical anorexia, from what I gather, it's like the health service are like, well, you don't fit in any of these other categories. So like, let's put you there and like, let's label it but that doesn't really help. Like you said, it's like, well, what just, what do you actually have? Yeah. 
So what are some common misconceptions that you can help the listeners to Mm -hmm. understand? So I think, I think from, it's interesting. I think from the perspective of somebody that's diagnosed with it and somebody that kind of like hears the term flippantly and is like, Oh, what does that mean? Probably there's different misconceptions, And when you are diagnosed with atypical anorexia, the diagnosis that comes through is OSFED. So it's other other specified feeding and eating disorder. Yeah, Yeah. other specified feeding and eating disorder. And so that also, it's, it's any eating disorder basically that doesn't fit all of the criteria. So let's say you, um, you have bulimia nervosa, but you're not binging and purging at the like amount of times that you need to be for the bulimia diagnosis, or you have binge eating disorder, but you're not binging and purging, uh, you're not binging, sorry, for the amount of times that you need to be, you'll then be put in the OSFED category. And it is literally as an individual that gets diagnosed with that, it, it's like being thrown to the curb. It's, you know, you don't quite fit. Therefore, we're just going to chuck you in this one bucket of other specified feeding and eating. Just like, isn't it just a horrible thing to say? Like, it's awful. And I think for me specifically, you know, if we think about atypical anorexia, it just made me think all they're telling you is that you're fat. Like you, you have tried really hard at this one thing, which is to be a low weight and you haven't achieved that and and therefore you are fat and for one is absolute rubbish it's not the case in the slightest and I think you know if anyone listening to this has been given a diagnosis of atypical anorexia I think something you can really feel is that you failed and you haven't at all you know atypical anorexia can be as chronic and as crippling and as dangerous as anorexia can be it's just unfortunately they have the diagnosis and they often say it's because of medical stability and i just i just don't agree because i've had friends and i've known people that have had heart conditions from having atypical anorexia have been hospitalized because of it and it's been missed and then they've had to go into hospital with heart conditions because their bmi wasn't low enough so how could they possibly have anything wrong with them but you know if we think about set point theory all of our bodies are you know designed individually to be at a certain weight so whether or not your body is designed to be a BMI of 20 or a BMI of 25, if you've gone from a BMI of 25 to 20, let's say, that's a big chunk of your weight that you've lost and your body doesn't, your body can't be comfortable there. And so you can have those medical um, instabilities. And I think that's really important for clinicians to know as well is that, you know, any eating disorder can cause chronic difficulties medical difficulties for people it's it can't just be based around weight and I think because of the general stigma you know if we take ourselves out of maybe the eating disorder area so for people that don't know much about eating disorders I think even when you hear the word eating eating disorder people instantly think anorexia so to put the word atypical in front of it they're kind of like what on earth does that mean so I think that there's probably a whole host of stigmas there but the the one that I just really want people to be able to take home is that no eating disorder is more valid than the other eating disorder everybody's experience if you're struggling with food and your body and that is impacting your day-to-day life then you deserve support I don't care whether you're engaging in behaviors every minute of the day or you know however frequently you're doing that 
if it's affecting you, you deserve to have support. And it doesn't matter how low your weight gets. It doesn't matter how frequently you're doing these behaviours. It's it's about the psychology behind it. And I think that's another thing as well, is that people often think eating disorders are weight disorders. And yes, weight is an element of it. Food is an element of it. But food for me has not, you know, this whole sort of, oh, I use food to punish myself or whatever that's something I've never aligned with either I don't use I don't use food to, I don't know what I use food for I, I don't know why I like I don't know why I restrict I don't know why I do that to myself but there's something about the eating disorder and I think if I don't know and I've been in therapy for 14 years then I really don't think that somebody should be making the assumption when I go for a 10 minute assessment that you know oh you're controlling food so that because other areas of your life are out of control. Um, so I've kind of gone into so many different kind of myths and stigmas there and just word vomited that out. I probably yeah. shouldn't say word vomited to be honest. <laughs> um, slightly controversial. Uh, but yeah, I think it, it is just so much to unpick and, and you've just really got to focus on the individual side in front of you. And I think I'm now at a point in my therapy where we don't say anorexia, it's just, the eating disorder and that for me has really aligned with me and my therapist has taken so long to understand my relationship with food my relationship with my body my relationship with exercise my relationship with my mum my dad my partner my younger self my adult self like there's so many elements that tie together it's so you can't just put someone in a box and say okay we've got anorexia therefore that's how we're going to treat you Mm. I think I think you're very wise and I think maybe also we need to reflect on that for other diagnosis these diagnoses <laughs> I don't even know if that's a word but you know when you're labeling somebody as anorexia or bulimia or binge eating it's like actually do they is I've all, all often been in two minds about the um, benefits of a diagnosis it gives validity but it also labels I know from my own journey when I was when I was diagnosed, I often I felt as much because I was young. I was a, a young person being diagnosed, and I think I often, I took that as I felt like I needed to fit that label then. Yeah, and that probably made me worse in an ironic way, um, which I'm sure other people have had that experience of that actually going oh, I don't actually feel like I fit this label, therefore I'm going to have to do everything. Yeah, I best prove myself. And I think as well, like I've had this conversation with quite a few people in terms of what I've seen a lot is people will get diagnosed with an eating disorder. So maybe let's say they get diagnosed with anorexia and they go through the recovery process and they're feeling a lot better and then they relapse and then they, but this time they relapse with binge eating disorder. And the, I think the issue is is that then you go through a place where somebody then has to get re-diagnosed and now they've got a different eating disorder. But, you know, I think we all, if I look at my experience of an eating disorder, then I've probably had elements of all different types of eating disorders, whether we're thinking anorexia, orthorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, muscle dysmorphia. Like it all, I feel like I've had symptoms from all of them. and maybe elements of my treatment has previously been missed out on because we've been focusing on specific behaviors. But if you just say eating disorder, it allows you to look at the individual and say, you know, what behaviors are you presenting with? What psych, what 
you know, psychologically is the strongest for you right now. And we can work on that first and then we can go and unpack the other stuff because it might be that somebody, you know, presents we've, we've got like anorexia binge subtype and anorexia purging subtype and it's like you can clearly see that they can all interlink so strongly but it d- the treatment doesn't allow you and like you say I think it means that when you do then get diagnosed you feel like you have to prove yourself because I'm pretty sure even somebody diagnosed with anorexia nervosa will not feel like the diagnosis fits them and they still want to prove themselves because even though you know they've maybe got that gold star the agent still doesn't stop there it's not like oh yeah mate you did really well so we can just stay here it, there's new goalposts in, introduced there's new you know failures that you're not you're not achieving there's new things that you could be doing better if you really tried and that's the problem with having an eating disorder is that you think when i achieve x i will be happy but you know x may come and y is now the goalpost and that's just continuously trying to move to those new achievements and i don't think that kind of the treatment that we're currently providing allows for the space in that change and that development of behaviors a hundred percent i think it sees us as and i think we could probably span over to all all countries in the world of actually we this we're like numbers or or you know we're just seen as this is going to work because it works for everyone and this is the this is the protocol but actually when it comes to recovery there is no everyone's unique in their experience and therefore we must look holistically when it comes to to treatment and I suppose that leads on to my next question and maybe it's a conversation that we can have but how do you think we can just better support people who are diagnosed in the offset category or atypical anorexia what do you feel needs to change I I think we should need to get rid of it (laughs) which I know isn't going to happen but I yeah I think that that's the only thing I can think because it's I don't I just don't see how it can make for a supportive environment because I have literally you know been on the phone with the person that diagnosed me and and they've said it's Osford you know we're diagnosed with Osford and I'm like okay um well I feel that that's a really invalidating diagnosis and it makes me feel you know like I need to strive for perfection and I need to get worse and I've been very honest about how the wording has impacted me and even that it didn't help because it'd already been done the damage had already been done I think you know we can really work towards I think ultimately the reason why for me atypical anorexia hurt so much was the internalized weight stigma and you know I'm very aware that I do have a lot of internalized bias towards smaller bodies and I think that's why it hurt so much was because well I don't want to be in a larger body I want that recognition that I'm in a small body and so I think if we are going to stick with that we really need to help people unpack their reasonings for why they find the diagnosis so uncomfortable is it that you don't think you're going to get the right sort of care is it that you have an internalized bias is it other things that you know have impacted you and you're now thinking okay well I need to get that you know why do you think that you need to achieve if we're going to say that word the anorexia diagnosis and why is the atypical anorexia having a big impact on you because ultimately 
and maybe people won't like me saying this, but there's there's a reason why you're finding that diagnosis uncomfortable. And I think being able to realize that is a really important part of your recovery because when you know what that is, you can then start to unpack your feelings around that. Um, and I, yeah, so I guess that's what, if we're going to continue with the diagnosis, we really, really need to focus on the discomfort that that brings up for people because it might be that any diagnosis brings up discomfort for people and so really thinking you know taking a step back and thinking before we even start with the therapy why why are you letting this diagnosis be your identity because I think you're so right like with giving a diagnosis that's why I hate saying things like oh they're anorexic or they're bulimic because it takes it from a diagnosis to an identity and I think for me my eating disorder has been my identity for a really really long time which is why I struggled so much with the atypical anorexia because I just wanted one last I knew this was my last attempt at an eating disorder I never can't do this again and I just wanted to try one more time and I still felt like I failed and therefore my identity has failed yeah I think holding some silence for that because I think a lot of people will really that will ring true with them and you know I always think you know when when I say something to someone it's like you know for instance like I know for a fact you haven't failed and but it's no worth me telling you that or anyone else telling you that because it's the way that you view it but ultimately I really hope that you know you hand but anyone listening if they don't feel valid or that they feel like they've failed that actually no you haven't because sometimes when when it comes to recovery that is a hard choice you know you've got two hard choices there you've got living with an eating disorder for the rest of your life or you've got recovering they're both hard but it's picking your hard and it's actually seeing recovery as a massive win and you know not seeing that you know you didn't reach a set standard as a failure it's actually like I just wasn't meant it wasn't meant for me Mm -hmm. and if I tried even more maybe I wouldn't be here yeah and so it's and also I think (laughs) why why do you want to you know you're not gonna nobody's going to talk about you in the future and say oh Hannah she you know she achieved that kind of full diagnosis like that's one thing I've realized as well is that my eating disorder is the least interesting part about me and uh, I was reflecting on this the other day with my therapist in that the more I try and achieve this eating disorder the more it's taking me away from the real person that I am and I can try and try and try to you know have this eating disorder be better at having the eating disorder or anything like that but that nobody is going to sing my praises when I'm older about that however you know me thriving at work me being a brilliant friend me being a you know a fantastic partner a wonderful daughter they're the things that matter to me as a person you know I I am so bubbly and outgoing on on a good day and I love that about myself and my eating sort of takes me away from that it makes me tired it makes me vulnerable it makes me not want to be with my friends and I think starting to you know that's what therapy's really helped me realize is what am I missing out on or you know what is everybody else missing out on from hand that the eating sort of takes away and I've shifted my focus now in that rather than being good at the eating disorder, I want to be good at being Han. And that's a scary thought because that means that I'm going to, you know, slowly get leave the eating disorder behind. 
but I think it's more so that the eating disorder scared than I'm scared yeah you're not you're not scared at all the true hand's not scared the true hand's probably very excited to be (laughs) finally you're letting her out and you know it's it's a journey that you are on and I would say that you know one that I know you will get to when it's right you know and you know for anyone listening there is no right time to recover first of all most but there's also no right time that you should be recovered it takes as long as it needs to I suppose you know as we wrap up today's episode and you know just been really really powerful so thank you for sharing but what do you feel like um needs you know what do you feel like there's any organizations or resources or communities that can help people who do fit you know unfortunately this other diagnosis that we know is not helpful I would love to say yes I think the one thing that I have found is that in terms of communities the twitter community for mm. you know recovery and the instagram community for recovery as well are brilliant and being part of full of beans has really helped me to you know meet a range of different people and i feel really honored in that because i've met so many people that have positively helped me to get to where i am now i think that there are brilliant kind of charities out there and and my favorite one would be first steps i think that they do absolutely brilliant stuff and um i haven't done any kind of recovery courses but my mum did do the carers course with beat and she found that really really kind of shifted her mindset on being able to support me so that's kind of the experience that i've had and the things that i've found useful um but I think just really being able to reach out to people, which is why Instagram and Twitter are so brilliant, um, to know that you're not alone, to know yeah. that, you know, whatever you're going through, no, nobody will have the same experience as you, but somebody can understand what you're going through. And it is really tough, but just being able to kind of explain that to somebody who's going to get it a bit more than somebody that's never had an eating disorder is, I think, something that can be really helpful. Definitely. And I think, you know, thank you for sharing that. And I feel like that's why the work that we both do is so valuable because it's that voice of reason that we wished when we were going, you know, or are going through it. It's like, actually, this is what other people need to know. So thank you again, Han, for today's episode. It's been just wonderful. And I think it's going to be really helpful for others to hear. Um, but without further ado, where can people find you? Yeah, no, thank you. It's it's actually been, it's interesting because I think when we spoke last week, I was not in the position that I am now. And I spoke to you and I was like, gosh, you know, Kendra's in a really good place and, and how can you ever be recovered? And it's just been such a nice reflection for me to be like, wow, I actually have made massive headway in the past week. And I know that, you know, it's not going to be like this forever and there'll be really tough weeks and tough days, but yeah, it's nice to just reflect on the kind of hopes that I have for the future. But anyway, without me blabbing on, um, to, to listen to, so you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter, which is the FOB podcast. So the FOB podcast. Um, you can also find our website, which is full of beans, ed.co.uk. Um, and if you want to email me, please feel free. It's Hannah at full of beans, ed.co.uk. And I, 
got the podcast, but I've also got the blog. Um, and I'm always open to people sharing their experience on the blog. So if you do want to write for me, I'd absolutely love to share that. Amazing. Well, I'll leave everything in the show notes as well, just so that they can get access to that easily um, and not pen and paper, which I normally do. (laughs) Um, Don't worry, you don't need to do that. Um, But yeah, thank you again for listening. Uh, As always, episodes are on a Tuesday and feel free to leave a review if you like this episode and want more of them. Also, if you have any requests, please do let me know. I'm always open to ideas. But for now, um, it was lovely speaking to you all and lovely having you as a guest, Han, and I will speak soon. Bye. Bye.